Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test, based in Annapolis, Maryland, reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Welcome back to the Anchored Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. Uh, Anchored fans, I haven't been this excited about an Anchored Podcast in a long time. Uh, my One of my truly favorite colleges uh, in the U.S. and the president we have with us today President Stephen Minnis, uh, who has been the president of Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas, since 2004. President Minnis, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's my honor. I was very excited that you had asked. Thanks, Jeremy. So you, you have led Benedictine through an amazing transformation since 2004. I got to visit for the first time last summer. It is truly one of the most passionately Catholic college campuses I have ever visited. It is uh, just saturated and kind of dripping with with joy and excitement. Uh, it is a beautiful culture. I, I'm so excited to dig in. Uh, but I, I actually would love to kind of start, as we often do on the Anchor Podcast, with kind of your journey. Uh, were you Catholics? Did you go to Catholic schools K twelve growing up? What was what was school like for you? Yeah, uh, great question. So I was educated by the. Uh, in Catholic schools, my entire career, uh, grade school, high school, uh, college, um, and uh, back to Benedictine nuns uh, taught me in high school. So that's kind of how I made my way to Benedictine College. But uh, I would probably say, you, you know, Jeremy, I when I see the work that you're doing and the work that many of your parents are doing, I often kind of regret not having, you know, that incredible foundation in the classics and the, and the great works that... Uh, that your followers, you know, or the people that you're, uh, that are taking the CLT that are, that are doing this, you know, being homeschooled or going to classical schools are taking because, oh my gosh, the education is just second to none. I wish I would have had that experience. I didn't, uh, but I, I would have, I would say I probably had your traditional 1960s, 1970s, 1980s Catholic education. <laughs> now, everybody can assume what that means, right? Yeah. Now, 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 the church at that time was going through quite a transformation. I mean, your your earlier memories is this is this Latin Mass, and did, did you did you process at the time uh, a big shift happening in the church, or were you kind of too young at that point to to, to notice? Yeah, great question. So, I was born in 1960, so uh, I was you know, brought up in the Latin Mass, but it. By the time I was kind of really with it, you know, and I was serving, we were at in English Mass. So, yeah. Okay. And then uh, you graduated from Benedictine in 1982. I'm so curious to hear what Benedictine was like uh, during that time. As I understand, I mean, it's, it's doubled in enrollment just since you've been president since 2004. Uh, but what was the college like uh, back in the late 70s, early 80s? So it was um, a different place. Okay, uh, I always I, I leave when people, especially students, ask me what Benedictine College is like when I went to school. I le- I always lead with, well, the drinking age was eighteen when I was in college, <laughs> so you can pre- pretty much guess what it was like. But you know, uh, our mission is to educate within a community of faith and scholarship. So always. We sometimes talk about the three legs of the stool: community, faith, and scholarship, and so. It, it's been rare that within the 164 years of the college that all three legs of the stool have been equally strong. Uh, I would say community was very, very strong at at the college when I was there. Academics was okay, and the faith was okay. Uh, but um, 
or to non-existent. I mean, right now we've had to add a daily mask because of overcrowding. Okay, when I was in school, I would go. You, to- you had to add a mask because of overcrowding at mass. Yes. <laughs> that, that's that's so beautiful. Like, could yeah. there be a more beautiful problem to solve? That is yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's just an amazing, amazing uh, way to say that. But we, um, when I was in school, we, we'd go to daily mass, and we probably had fifteen people there. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, now it would be embarrassing to only have fifteen at our daily masses, and and uh, we we in masses weren't that much better. Uh, this was all prior to. John Paul II, all prior to this idea of the new evangelization, a new, you know, kind of rebirth within Catholic education is all before Excorde Ecclesiae, which was real. I mean, this is really important. Uh, People understand that in higher education, you had these two blueprints, right? The blueprint written in the 1970s uh, called Land of Lakes, right? Where the uh, Catholic educators got together and they said, uh, look, at we're going to put our faith on the shelf and we're going to be all in on academic excellence. And so uh, we don't think you can be faithfully Catholic and academically excellent. And that was the blue, blueprint that we were following. At the yeah. Time. yeah. And then 1991, you know, uh, Pope John Paul II comes out with Excordia Ecclesiae and says, not only can you be faithfully Catholic and academically excellent, in fact, being faithfully, faithfully Catholic means that you have to be academically excellent. And so <laughs> then you had a new blueprint to follow. And uh, there was a lot of decisions to be made by uh, places of uh, colleges, Catholic colleges and universities, which blueprint they were going to follow. Most continued to follow the Land of Lakes. We decided to follow Excordia Ecclesiae, and it's made all the difference for us. Wow. Wow. Uh, President Menes, I, I love stories. When I was a, a teacher, if I ever thought the kids were bored, I would stop and, and tell a story. When I toured campus, I, I, I heard the story of how Benedictine was founded, and it's kind of a wild story. Uh, can, you, can you give our, our audience kind of an abridged version of this, this founding sure. story? Well, we always talk about that Mary chose this place, and uh, it, it it all goes back to the founder, Father Henry Lemke, 1856, on September the 8th, which is Mary's birthday. He would oftentimes walk from Atchison to Donovan, Kansas, which isn't very far, but this is 1856, so you're walking up there. He would follow the river on the way up. Uh, this one day, he stays too late. He doesn't have anything to eat all day. It's a very hot day, and he he starts walking back. And now the sun has set and clouds are rolling in and it's starting to rain. And he finds himself in this ditch. Water is coming upon him and he um, and he thinks he's going to die. He thinks he's going to drown out there on the prairie. Uh, he said he, he did not have a devotion to Our Lady. But at that moment, he looks up to the sky and he says, uh, Our Lady, helper of Christians, if you get me out of this, if you show me a sign, I'll be forever devoted to you. And at that moment, a light shone in the distance. Okay, this is a light now that gave him hope. So he crawls out of the ditch, crawls towards the light. He comes upon this hut with only one window. In that window is a lantern. And that's the light that that, that gave him this hope. Knocks on the door, goes in. They recognize him as Father Henry. They dry him off. And he says to them, tell me, how did this lantern get in the window? This is a lantern that literally saved my life. And she says, well, Father, we were all sleeping. And my daughter, nine-year-old daughter, wakes up and says, Mommy, Mommy, come here. So she wakes up, lights the lantern, puts it in the window, and says, Honey, what's wrong? And the nine-year-old daughter says, Mommy, I was sleeping. And all of a sudden, a lady dressed in white 
appeared at the foot of my bed telling me to wake you up. And so Father Henry believes, and I do too, that it was Our Lady that woke this little girl up to wake the mother up so she would light that lantern, put it in the window, and spare his life. Two years later, in 1858, he founds the college. That's also the year that a lady dressed in white appears at St. Bernadette in Lourdes, France. And so that's why we have a grotto on our campus to depict that, that apparition. And so we believe from that moment that Mary chose this place and chose each one of us to be here. You know, Our Lady Guadalupe told St. Juan Diego, there are many I could send, but you're the one I've chosen for this task. And so I take that pretty seriously that we were chosen. There's no reason I should be here, okay, except Mary chose me to be here. There's no reason our students should be here except Mary chose them. When they apply, when a student applies to Benedictine, uh, I get their acceptance letter. And if they're accepted, uh, I get their acceptance letter. And as I sign my name to that letter, I pray a Hail Mary for that specific student that Mary oh. will proceed on their behalf and sent, bring them to Benedictine College. So I tell the freshmen every year, hey, look, it, there's thousands like you all around the country. And each one of those students at other schools are saying, I chose this school or I picked this school. But at Benedictine College, Mary chose you to be mm. this specific uh, task. So I think it's really inspiring to us. I, I, I kid you, I'm not kidding. I, I, I got the chills head to foot when you were telling that story. I, I mean, th this is, and we're at the beginning still of what feels like a, a rebirth. And this rebirth cannot happen, I, I don't believe, apart from Catholic higher ed. Uh, and, and Benedictine, you know, tell us about coming in 2004. Um, you know, at that point when you began this journey, uh, did, did you have a clear vision for the direction you wanted to to lead the college? What were the initial problems you were trying to solve? Yeah, that's a great. That's a great question. So I, uh, you know, I graduated from Benedict and I went to Washburn Law School in uh, Topeka, Kansas, became an attorney. After uh, law school, I was an assistant district attorney. And then I worked for Sprint, the wireless company. I did litigation for them. I did regulatory work. Uh, they're, they're the wireless company. And so, um, but, uh, for, and I worked for them for 14 years. 12 of the last 14, I was on the board of directors of the college. And so uh, when my predecessor left, I went to the chair and I said, hey, look at I don't have any experience for this job. You guys would be idiots to hire me. And they did, uh, and they haven't got rid of me yet. So, I <laughs> but uh, we've been. Uh, when I came in two thousand four, we we had just. I mean, we had just um, uh, been included in the uh, uh, the Newman Guide of Choosing a Catholic College. That was really yeah. or actually that process was started. That we were put in there after I became president. That was a huge um, huge benefit to us. Mm. It really demonstrated to the country of the two hundred and fifty. Catholic universities in America, right? There's only uh, less than 20 in that, on that list. And we were one of them to demonstrate that we were a faithful Catholic college. That really took us to another level and created a, an atmosphere of that we became a national school. So most small liberal arts colleges and state universities will have oh, about 75% of their students from their home state. Uh, we have uh, about 20% from Kansas. So what that means is that we have kids from all over the country coming to Benedictine College. That all started first because of our um, Catholic identity. And now it's picking up because we're offering really programs yep. that 
schools don't offer, right? You know, one of our goals here at CLT is not just to, to offer a better test in the SAT or ACT, a test that's meaningful and re- reflects the content of a great Benedictine education. Part of our goal as well, though, is, is introducing our students uh, to these great colleges. And just in the past seven years, even since we've launched CLT, I feel like something significant has changed in where Catholic families are sending their kids to college. And, and this is what I'm talking about. We've seen record enrollment at Benedictine, Ave Maria, Franciscan, University of Dallas. And at the same time, some of the Catholic and kind of name only colleges, they're down 30, 40% in enrollment. Um, you know, you've been doing this now for 18 years as president. Has something changed just in the past few years? Well, yes, I think uh, there's, I would say there's, there's two uh, levels of changes. There was a, when Pope Benedict became Pope, there was a huge influx of those that were wanted to, uh, you know, really uh, Pope Benedict was pushing Excordia Ecclesiae and those schools that were following that. So there was this groundswell of support for schools that had chosen to, uh, to support Excordia Ecclesiae. Uh, and then since that time, uh, there has been a kind of an understanding of faithful Catholic colleges. But now there's this understanding of, OK, let's take another step and let's say, OK, I trust that you're a faithful Catholic college. Now, tell me what you're doing on the academic side. Are you embracing uh, classical uh, great books programs, honors programs that are young people are young people or young strong Christian Catholic families, will they find a home there, not just from a faith perspective, but also an intellectual perspective? So we worked very, very hard in doing that. We've started the the Sheridan Center for Classical Studies that houses our great books program, and and we've uh, created a classics major. But just as importantly, we've beefed up our general ed ed requirements in our theology and philosophy (laughs) classes and classic uh, great books programs. So even if you want to be an engineer, okay, you can still be exposed to uh, classical works. That's fantastic. Um, For the past several years, uh, Benedictine has been a top five destination uh, for the students we work with, CLT test takers. And, you know, we are 40% homeschool students, very heavy in Mother Divine Grace, Seton, Colby. Uh, We also work with what I believe are some of the best Catholic secondary schools, places like Sacred Heart Academy in Grand Rapids. Um, And they are choosing uh, Benedictine uh, more and more and more. Uh, Tell us a little bit about this fit. It it was was amazing actually going out there last summer. Uh, I got to meet probably 20 or more, mostly homeschool students who were on scholarship to Benedictine uh, through a CLT test score, which was was amazing uh, to meet them. But um, yeah, tell us a little bit about why why Benedictine is a, a good destination uh, for the kind of students who typically take the CLT. Oh, that's a great question. I would, first off, I just want to thank you and applaud you for this whole idea of the CLT and creating a different examination. As you know, Jeremy, we um, those that take the CLT are eligible for even a little bit more scholarships than they would normally get uh, from from us and from others probably too, but because these are the students that we like to have. We, you know, over time, probably when I came 2004, my guess is our percentage of homeschool classical students was, I'll bet you, one to 2% easy. Mm. Yep. And now, 
if you took both homeschool and those educated in classical schools, I'll put Chesterton Academies in there and things like that. And yeah. start out of Grand Rapids. Uh, I would probably put that in the 25 to 28% range. Wow. You know? wow. so, yeah. so it's just grown dramatically. And why? Because uh, they're incredibly prepared. They're unbelievable students. They understand, uh, they have leadership skills. Uh, they, they just make us better, you know. Mm, that's fantastic. When I arrived on campus, uh, I was trying to figure my way around and ran into a young man. And as we were walking to, to your office, uh, he said, tell me a little bit about yourself. How'd you discover Benedictine? And he said, you know, there were three colleges top of my list, Notre Dame, uh, SLU in St. Louis, and, and Benedictine. I got into all three. Uh, and at the end of the day, I, I wanted to grow my relationship with Christ. And so I chose Benedictine. That's that was amazing. Nice. That was amazing. Oh. That, that, that's why students are choosing. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the core curriculum. Uh, what is common to all students uh, who, who receive a Benedictine education? Right. So you'll have to, in order to graduate, you'll have to take, you know, two sciences, a math, two English courses. You're going to have to take three theology classes three philosophy classes. Uh, you'll also have to take a, a foreign language uh, and uh, and you'll, uh, well, the sciences have to have labs as well. You'll also have to take uh, what I'm going to call a social science, you know, histories um, or sociology or psychology. So, I mean, it's a pretty robust, I'm trying to think 68 hours are mm. genetics. Um, and then of those sciences, uh, of those philosophies and theologies, you have to take Intro to theology, you have to take uh, uh, principles of nature in our philosophy class. I think a couple of things, which, you know, is, I, I touched on this a little bit about how you can embrace the great books and these and these general foundational courses and still major in things like engineering and business yeah. and so forth. And this is really important. Now, we're the only school in America in which in order to get an engineering degree, and a, or a business degree, in order to get a, one of those two degrees from Benedictine, you have to take ethics from the philosophy department and Love it. Yeah. Christian moral life from the theology department. So we think business ethics, engineering ethics are just ethics in a business or engineering setting. So we want the experts to teach them ethics and morality. So I, I love that. I, I have long thought that, that even one of the greatest risks to national security is having this obsession with STEM but divorced from any kind of moral framework, divorced from the humanities, divorced from ethics. Uh, so I love what you're doing there. Um, let, let's talk a bit about the, the Benedictine tradition itself uh, for, for the non-Catholics listening today. I mean, this is one of the oldest traditions uh, in the history of the Catholic Church. So talking about St. Benedict, the rule of St. Benedict, um, how does this inform the life and the culture uh, of the campus? Oh, that's really a great question. So the the Benedictines are the oldest order in the church. Uh, for the non-Catholics, you probably know of other orders, Jesuits, Dominicans, Franciscans. Those are orders in the church. The Benedictines are the oldest. Um, and um, I know the Jesuits are always really proud of themselves. You know, they uh, the Benedictines had been around a thousand years before the, <laughs> the Jesuits. Yeah. So, but uh, uh, St. Benedict wrote the rule of St. Benedict. It's literally the oldest organizational constitution in the world, okay? Still mm -hmm. read every day by the monks here and the sisters across town. Um, and it's this incredibly powerful document, okay? Um, chapter two in the rule is a great uh, chapter on leadership. Chapter four is so powerful 
one of our Benedictine sisters says she reads a sentence a day out of chapter four. It's so powerful. But mm. uh, I will also tell you, there's also some interesting chapters, the sleeping arrangements of the monks. Um, it says that you should wear your habit to bed in case you get called out in the middle of the night, but not wear your knife to bed because you may cut yourself. Okay. <laughs> I think that's wonderful advice, right? You know, <laughs> But uh, so, but yeah. we took really the key elements out of that. We created the the uh, the values uh, for the Benedictine College values, the values of uh, the love of Jesus Christ, uh, community, civility, mm. uh, stewardship, uh, prayer and work. Uh, you know, constant self improvement. Some of these some of these values set forth by Saint Benedict. And they inform everything that we do. It all comes from our mission, okay, right? Our mission is the most important thing that we do. Well, it's the second most important. The love of Our Lady is the most important. And then the mission is the second most important uh, to educate our students within a community of faith and scholarship. But it doesn't work if you don't have these foundational principles supporting that mission. The foundational principles are that we're a Catholic college, that we're a Benedictine college with those values set forth that we're a liberal arts college and that we're a residential. Okay. All those four pillars support our mission. And that, that's really important. So, you know, one of the things that Jeremy, that you touched on earlier that I think is really important for our listeners is that, you know, we've had this like really this run of success here. We've been really blessed, right? 15 years, mm-hmm. we doubled our enrollment, built 11 new residence halls, six new academic buildings, We've, um, you know, started these new programs that are pretty unique for a small liberal arts Catholic college, such as engineering, architecture. Um, and so, and then we just announced uh, a, a possible uh, medical school that will be on our campus. So that that's pretty unusual for schools uh, like us, uh, schools our size. Um, and people, a lot of times will say, what is the secret? And we we say two things. Number one, uh, we embraced Our Lady, and the second thing we, we embraced our mission. Okay, we consecrated the college to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Everything that you know, we put the entire school in her hands. The moment we did that, great things started happening for us. Mm. And the thing, the second thing, we embraced our mission. We we decided everything we're going to do is going to be consistent with that mission. We have cabinet meetings, and the last thing we ask before we make a decision is, is this consistent with our mission? Because if it's not, we won't do it. We we've not. Uh, it, We've had opportunities to receive significant donations from people who we felt probably were not mission fit for us. And so we won't accept them and we won't do things that aren't consistent with our mission. My understanding is that there are three uh, Benedictine colleges in the U.S. Is that accurate? Belmont Abbey, St. Vincent and Benedictine in Atchison, Kansas? Well, there's 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 a there's a, probably actually I think there's about 12 now that. And but those are the ones that probably most people know. But there's okay. uh, I'm not going to name them all twelve. But Saint Saint yeah. uh, Saint John's up in Collegeville, College of Saint Benedict. You Mary is a Benedictine school. Saint Leo's, Saint okay. Andrews, and et cetera. So, yeah. and, and so there, there's a, a vow of civility that the monks take. Is that accurate? Uh, yes, yes, it is. In fact, uh, uh, they they take a vow to the place, not just to the Benedictines, but to the. Mm. Ex- to the specific abbey. In fact, we have a monk that always says, I wake up every morning and see where I'm going to be buried because he looks out over the grave because he yeah. knows 
I relieve that Abby and that's where he'll be buried. And then so, so I, I first heard about this concept when I was spending, spending the night at St. Vincent college, probably eight years ago now. And I was, I was learning about the Benedictines there. And, uh, I, I feel like in a, in a transient world where everybody's chasing the, the most cool place and thing, it's so countercultural, so radical in, in a way for people to say, no, I'm, I'm committing and giving my life for this ground and this sacred space. And I'm going to love it. And I'm going to make it into the most amazing place available. Uh, Talk about the presence of the Benedictine monks on campus. Well, it's very important. As you you can imagine, these are, these are men, uh, the monks that we share a campus with them. And so they walk around, of course, they have daily mass, Sunday morning mass as well. They, uh, our students are welcome to come to their, um, to their prayers. They have, uh, I think 5.30, so it's it's not very <laughs> very well attended by our students at 5.30, but then they have 11.45, and then they have, a I think, a 5.30 as well as a 7.30 uh, prayers every day, <clears throat> which they've taken a vow to to attend. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's really inspiring, especially in today. Jeremy, you kind of touched on that a little bit, you know, in this world where I'm tired of this app, so I'm going to move to another app. I'm tired of that one. I'm going to move to another. I'm tired of this video game, or I'm tired of this. I'm moving on. Uh, to say that I'm taking a vow, and and they take concurrent vows. I take a vow to this place, and they take a vow to me. They hmm. won't abandon me. I won't ever abandon them. Right? Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. Fantastic. Um, a couple more questions for you. I wonder if we could talk about uh, the focus on beauty at Benedictine College. It is, and this is not to bash the rest of Kansas, but Benedictine, holy smokes, it doesn't look like Kansas. It doesn't look like what I pictured Kansas looking like. I mean, it is, it's hilly and there's a beautiful river kind of running through, you know, one part of campus. Um, it's beautiful, but then there, there's an academic, a theological focus on beauty as well. And this is something that ancients understood that has been lost in the modern world, this connection between beauty and learning. Uh, tell us a little bit about, about the focus on beauty at Benedictine College. Sure. Well, we thought from the very beginning, this was going to be really important. It, not because, not only because it is, it's the right thing to do. Beauty will save the world, right? And we've, we've really uh, been inspired by Bishop Barron and his understand you know truth beauty and goodness but that we have to start with beauty and and but also because today's today's student frankly um you know as my wife always says they they may not understand how beautiful you are beautiful you are on the inside of the college if you're not beautiful on the outside of the college and mm. so we spend a lot of time and we also spend a lot of time creating um oh, religious symbols on our campus so there's no question about who we are so we've added a lot of sacred art on our campus in addition to that, to take it even to another level, we started a center, the Center for Beauty and Culture, and we asked, um, we hired Dennis McNamara, uh, who is probably the foremost. DMAC, right? Yeah, DMAC, the foremost expert on yes, sacred architecture in the country, maybe the world, uh, and he runs that for us. So he's here influencing, having an impact on our students every day. It's, it's really, really ex- exciting. Fantastic. Uh, President Menace, final question. We always end the Anchor Podcast talking about books, the books that have been most influential for our guests. Uh, is there a book you go back to and reread uh, every year? Is there a book that has been most formative for you? Sure. So I would probably, 
I think we had this discussion before we started that I'm supposed to say the Bible, otherwise you probably <laughs> podcast. So, I mean, that's kind of a given. But, yeah. I, you know, I thought about this question before. I would probably say there's probably three books, three religious books that I probably look at a lot. One is 33 Days to Morning Glory by uh, Father Michael mm-hmm. Gailey. That's that's the uh, consecration that I, I make every year uh, here at the college. We do a consecration with our students between November the 5th and December the 8th, and that's what we use the 33 Days to Morning Glory. Uh, he also wrote a book called The Second Greatest Story Ever Told, and I think that's really a, it's been a profound book for me. I really like this Walking with Mary book by Ted Shree. Uh, I think that's really a great book. He's a former professor of ours, and uh, he's with Focus now. Uh, from a secular book perspective, I, I thought Boys in the Boat was just a yeah, really that. significant book. I don't know if you've ever uh, read that or not. It's an incredible book about history, but more importantly, about leadership and about yeah. how giving of yourself to make the group better. It's really fascinating. Yeah, I, I did enjoy that yeah, a couple of years ago. The 1936 Munich Olympics, I believe. Um yeah. President Minnis, ne- next steps. Uh, you know, I, I had heard about Benedictine myself for years. I went out there with with high expectations because I had heard great things, and my expectations were, were still blown away. I, I left thinking, "Wow, this is." It, it expanded my vision for what a college could be. Um, what What is a good next step for parents and students listening to this podcast if they want to explore Benedictine a bit more? Sure. Well, of course, benedictine.edu is our website. Feel free to go on that. You're welcome to send me an email and, and uh, indicate your interest, and we'll get that ball rolling. I'm at S-Minnis, S-M-I-N-N-I-S, at benedictine.edu. Uh, the best way the best way to know about us is to visit, Jeremy. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, if you come out, you will feel it, okay? You will understand it and understand the spirit of the place, which is um, I think second to none, we just love it. Love, and we love our students. We've been just really blessed with our students. One of the things that we tell parents all the time is our commitment to love our students. We, mm. this commitment to love our students. Uh, the la- I interview every faculty member, every staff member that we hire on our campus. The last question I ask them, especially faculty is, do you have the capacity to love our students? Because if you don't have the capacity to love our students, then you're not going to be happy here because we have an expectation you will love our students and the students have an expectation to be loved, okay? Now, I remind them, Jeremy, of course, loving our students doesn't mean that you give them straight A's, okay? <laughs> Sometimes they need a little tough love, right? You know, but uh, but that's that's really important. And that, that came straight from from uh, Pope Benedict when he visited the United States in 2008. You know, he, he said that's yeah. the differentiator, the differentiator between public institutions and uh, Christian Catholic institutions is that public institutions have a duty to inform the intellect. Catholic institutions, ca- Christian institutions have a duty to form not only the intellect, but also the will. And you have a duty to love your students. So anyway, that's, so that, great. that's what we do. It's great. Uh, parents, students uh, listening to this, get on campus uh, at Benedictine. You will not be disappointed. Uh, it, it is it is beautiful. And just going out there itself, I believe, is is formative and rich. Uh, President Mendes, thank you for being with us. Uh, but thank oh, you thank even you. more for what you have built for your faithfulness. Uh, and again, I, I think not, not just at Benedictine, but providing a, a model for what a Catholic college can be like in the modern world. Uh, everyone at, at CLT here, Uh, loves you and we love Benedictine College. Uh, So thanks so much for being with us. Great. Thanks so much, Jeremy. God bless. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.